Guys, women, ladies and gents, welcome back to another amazing podcast episode, if I do say so myself, of Live Bold and Boss Up. We're so excited to have Sin Bastos join us this week to really shed some amazing perspective, passion and light on personal and professional freedom. She's an executive wellness coach. She coaches at corporations. She coaches for executives one-on-one. She basically helps support you and achieving your personal professional freedom, right? Like get yourself in line. What's your root intentions and guides you actively to achieving your commitments and purpose and vision and strategy. She is amazing. Her story is amazing on how she got to where she is. Really learned a lot throughout her journey. Um, She was in corporate America as well too and got completely jolted out. Her life came crashing down on her. So we like really dive in. It's an amazing conversation. We hope you guys enjoy it. Sin Bastos, she's an amazing person. We had the privilege, Steph and I, of meeting her um, on the Tampa Bay Buccaneer um, cheerleading team back in the day. So she is an alumni as well and we love her. We're so excited for you to listen to our conversation with her. We are so happy to have you here. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I am so, so excited. Much. You drove from, did you drive all the way from, um, I'm way, way away from my microphone on that one. Sorry. Did you drive all the way from North Carolina? Yep. Yeah. No, I drove on Sunday. I mean, it's like about 10 hours to get to Orlando. The kids were on spring break. So I made sure I went straight to Orlando. I spent all through Thursday morning in Orlando. I had a meeting this morning and then I drove here. Left at 10. Lots of spring breakers on the road, but I got here Crazy. within the three hours ish that I needed wow. to, to be here. But yeah. yeah, no, I'm, my dad was a truck driver. So it's like in my genes to be able to hit the road and go. And right. there was like a stage in my life, like a year and a half where I just was on the road for literally almost eight months. Wow. Really? I called it like my pilgrimage stage <laughs> where I just went on a journey of like wherever the road takes me, it's endless. Um, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So like, I love the road. I get some of my best thinking done. It's like where you have to be the most present. Right. Um, so yeah, I love it. It can get exhausting if you do it too long especially like with the pups, I feel bad for them being in the car for so long, right. but I'm used to it. I love it. It's something that I think is better than like flying on a plane and dealing with all like the, Yes, I was, I was in Asheville. I was with a friend. I had three more days left in my trip and I was either going to go home and do my staycation, but my friend Lauren who lived in apex, which is just right outside of Raleigh was like, Hey, come visit me. It's beautiful here. You'll enjoy it. I Googled it. It was like three and a half hours ish. And I was like, "Mm, that's a long detour. Don't know if I want to go that far, but she's like, trust me, you will fall in love. And she had only been there for a year. So it's not like she was like a a local or knew a bunch about it. She had also just recently fallen in love with it and she knew I would. So I went, took the three hour drive, got there and it literally felt like familiar energy. Like I had been there before I was supposed to be there. Like my feet touched the ground and was like, yep, you're supposed to be here. And we spent a day, we like drove around, had some fun. I saw the towns, the people were just so charming and welcoming that Southern charm kind of vibe. Mm. And all of a sudden she's like, do you want to go to the beach tomorrow? Cause it was just like, whenever you want to leave, you can leave. And she knew to like, keep me there. She had to keep. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, I want to go to the beach. And I was like, how far is the beach? She's like two hours. And then I was like, well, hold the phone. We're going to go to the beach. And that's two hours from here. And I was just at the mountain three hours ago. Okay. 
this sounds like I might really love this place. And I wasn't really like, I'm going to move soon. I was still dealing with my mom going through what she was going through with her cancer. So I was like, I know eventually I want to move, but this sounds like some place that I could potentially see myself in. So I decided after I drove home, I was like, let me just do some research, see if this is even like a place that I would love to live. And it just fell off the wayside. Like it didn't, it didn't come to me to start Googling like jobs. I was so aggressive about Seattle. Like I knew I wanted to go, but I, my soul still wasn't ready. And I think it was just because my mom, knowing that my mom was still healing. She didn't have my dad. Like I felt like I still really, oh my gosh million times better. Uh, she is completely on remission now. She has no cancer, which is amazing. And she's like stepped into like grandmahood so much. I think before that she was still very much like wife to my dad. She was still caring for me and my siblings as if we were still children and like could not let go of that like motherly worry. And now that she like was able to like get through that, it almost like took this layer of worry away from her to be like, life is too simple, like too beautiful to waste. I have to be immersed in these kids. They're the future. And so now she was like this little girl. She would like play with them on the floor. She's just like in love. And I'm like just obsessed now to see her with that level of like life. And I said, this was divine. Like my dad passed away and my mom, similar to myself, went back to life as usual. And after something that big, you don't just go back to life as usual. Like everything changes. My whole world got rocked, but I chose to see it as a challenge to like not let it be a speed bump to let myself just keep going. And my mom did the exact same thing and she knew she wanted to retire at some point, but she finally decided, you know what? Now that I have cancer, she's like, I need to retire early. There's no point in driving myself like wild, trying to work and do all this stuff. She's like, I just need to take, I don't need to take life for granted anymore. And so I think the cancer, like gratefully was the easiest cancer you could get thyroid cancer. You just remove the thyroid and have some radiation and then you're sort of on your way, which is great for my mom. But I think it was just to wake her up and be like, you gotta like change your life. You gotta not be in that same pattern of what you were living in, which my parents came here from Portugal at their teens. My dad didn't have an education because he worked on a farm and had to work in a factory under the table to make money. Like my parents did not come from wealth. They came here for wealth. And so for both of them, like they were chasing this very specific dream and they, my mom very quickly realized that that dream wasn't really the dream that she wanted or needed that it just was what got her here. And now she can create whatever life she wants. So I see her now like in her fullest power. She's like grandma, superwoman. She like can do all of it. Like she can have all six of them at one time. And I'm like, you used to get so frustrated with just the three of us. I'm like, you all of a sudden inherited patience as a virtue. Like, wow. Um, but yeah, she's doing amazing. And she's a reminder to me that, you know, I am still so much her, um, in so many ways. Um, and I see so much of how I can become through who she's becoming. So mm. it's just a beautiful like mirror that I have so close to me. And right. I feel like it's divine that I chose her to be my mother in this lifetime. Right. Oh, that's like, you said so many things where I want to dive into the rabbit hole, but that's like <laughs> for another conversation, <laughs> like that one right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So share, share with us your story about, cause when we, when we talked about what we wanted to really dive into here, we talked about like your, you know, where you are now, but ha- more importantly, like how you got to where you are now. Cause I think that's really important knowing your story. Mm-hmm. So share with us a little bit about, you know, you were married before mm-hmm. and had that corporate executive role, which you touched on a little bit. Yep. 
talk about that and like what made you what made you just like completely shatter those like social norms. Mm, yeah. And I love that you call them social norms because they never felt normal to me mm-hmm. in living in them. Like I always felt that there was this inauthenticity to me and I was craving just being authentically myself. Um, when I was 14 years old, I remember having two jobs. I worked under the table, uh, popcorn and cotton candy. I was bagging that for Disney world and I was working at Dunkin' Donuts because you could get tips at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, why was I working at 14 years old? I was still such a kid. And it's because my parents and their upbringing, they both had to work at very young ages to be able to support the family. And so it's just tradition. It was inherited. And so when I went to school, I went to school for management and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. So I took six years to get my uh, bachelor's degree in management, but I had graduated high school with my AA degree because I was just like, I'm going to learn, learn, learn. And then I got to college and was like, I'm going to slow it down. And so I could have minored in humanities in college because there was just so much that I wanted to learn that I didn't know about myself. And I was learning it through those studies like anthropology and religious studies. And so there was a point in college where I had a boyfriend that I was dating who was really abusive, really toxic, was addicted to drugs, was a really bad person. And as this like nurturing caretaker type of woman, I couldn't help but want to save him. And so I got in this really unhealthy relationship of wanting to save this person. And I ended up getting into trouble at school. I started to like get bad grades and my parents literally were like, we came to this country for you. We are helping make sure that you can get an education so that you can be somebody because we couldn't have an education. And so they were, they literally said like, if you don't get your stuff together, we're going to abandon you. And it really triggered my abandonment wounds. My dad was a truck driver growing up, so he was gone a lot. So I already carried those abandonment wounds. And so I very quickly recognized I have to put my feet into the ground. I have to work really hard. I have to get this degree. I have to be successful, not just for me, but for my family. Mm-hmm. And so I got a, I got my master's degree in um, business management. And when I graduated, I was like, I'm going to take a little bit of time because I just need to make sure I have space before I jump into anything crazy. And I was cheering for the bucks. I had just made uh, Buccaneers and I was just like, okay, lots of potential in front of me. What am I going to do? And I got recruited by power design. And it was like within a moment's time, I was walking on my graduation and then starting power design the next Monday. Like, which is great, which is awesome. amazing. Everyone yeah. would want that. Like right. no lag time, like you're mad, automatically recruited, ready to go. My parents were so proud. I was getting a really nice salary right out of college. And so it's interesting not to interject, yeah. but interjecting. It's inter- it's interesting how you felt proud because you were making your parents proud. Yes. It's been, it's all, it's been such a pattern for so long of my life. Mm -hmm. And because I had come from a place of, I was going to be abandoned because I was not making them proud. So it was this stark transition of, okay, this is what makes me feel successful. I felt like this indebtedness to them, this amount of overextension of gratitude that was necessary for them. And that was what filled my cup because I didn't know how to fill my own cup at the time. And so I started at power design and very quickly I recognized like, 
okay, I can do a lot here if I just put my head down, just like I did with school and be an overachiever. There were some obstacles there. I was a cheerleader in a construction company. So there was a lot of people who had their viewpoints about me and who I was. And so there was this aspect of not only trying to prove my parents right, but also prove all these people wrong about who I was. And so within two years, I had six promotions there. And I just, Dang, girl, literally, I just that, killed that it. Pretty awesome. It was, it was insane. I like tripled my salary practically from when I started there. And, um, I created my own path from that point. I started to pitch like new ideas. I could see gaps in the business and was like, I think this is a need. Um, at the time they didn't have a training department. They had a guy that they had brought in to bring training to life through like third party companies. And I said, Nope, it needs to be here. Right then was when like the recession was happening. And so construction was slowing down. 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2009 ish. And when, um, they were like, well, what would training do? I was like, it's going to be the biggest return on investment you can imagine. We're going to implement best practices. We're going to help create succession plans for people in learning paths. And so within a year I had turned it into a 12 person team and we were flying all over the country, helping 27 different States with, 500 different, you know, apprentices and electricians and superintendents out on the job sites. And I loved it. I was thriving because I was like, Oh my gosh, I was able to create something and it was my idea and I got to see it come to fruition. But what I loved more than anything else was that I had a team of people to do it with. I loved that I was coaching and mentoring people and helping them step into their power. Everyone that I brought into that team was someone from like a different industry or a different place. They weren't like inherent to construction or to training. And so the fact that I was able to help them transition into something learn new skills, mentor them through things that were very personal, that were showing up professionally. It just like made me thrive. And so that training department was doing really, really well. And my boss was like, "Mm, we have, we have another department that needs some help. And so, um, their business process improvements group was really, uh, it was a smaller group, a team of small industrial engineers that were like really passionate about wanting to cultivate change, but didn't have the people aspect to it, which is what I thrive on. And so I, then I took over, um, this process improvement department, eventually got them all PMP certified, grew it again to like a large team. Then they were like, well, our quality control team is kind of suffering. <laughs> wow. And so I just kind of was like the misfix it. I kind of started right. to go into like, okay, what's going on here? How can I cultivate change? And I didn't have to turn anyone over all of the people in those departments that were there got to either do something new in the business or got to tap into a new skill Which within that department. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's because it's what I love to do. I call myself people operations because I love just like helping people connect to what helps them move, what helps them operate, perform at their highest potential. And really I can see people's untapped potential and help like inspire them to tap into it themselves. And so that was the biggest eye opener for me, even though it was for electrical contracting and it was very specific and I was able to create goals, but they were in alignment to goals I was given. It felt so good to me, but I felt limited. I felt like I could do so much more, but I was still playing in a sandbox and I felt like there was a whole playground that I had been missing out on. So in 2015, I went and got my executive MBA and that's what like blew my mind because all of a sudden I was the youngest female in USF's history to take that program. 
and thank you. Yeah, it was so, it was so amazing. And I fought hard in that interview because they grilled me like you're a millennial. You're going to be around people that are a different demographic. And I said, they, I'm a, I'm the workforce. They need to learn to work with me. And so it was really powerful to be able to be in that cohort. And I had the president of uh, fifth third bank in there. I had, um, CIOs for large tech industries. I had private practitioners who own their own medical facilities. I mean, all the different spectrums of industries. And remember I walked on a Saturday and started Power Design on Monday. So I had very little exposure to other industries, other organizations. And so that two year experience was such a journey. I got to learn so much and apply it on the job. You can imagine with college, you don't really get to apply it. You're like, yeah, I'm learning, but I'm like studying for tests. And so I just blossomed in that two year period of being in that program. And my last class was my executive leadership class. And to finish the program, you had to write a thesis on your succession plan. And my succession plan was to leave power design. Yeah. I remember because we had lunch and talked about it several times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I told my boss, (laughs) I told her, I was like, you told her, by the way, yes, yes. I said, by the way, I do feel limited. There's a, there's a shelf life on Cynthia power design. And so I told her, here's my succession plan. Here's what I hope to do. I want to build a center of excellence. I want to do all of these things. And then as I exit out, I just want to be an executive coach. I want to be a project manager who then takes these visions that I work with these executives on to life. And I created this role for myself that I was able to do for about a year and a half before I finally left the company and decided to jump and start my own thing. When did you, when did you get married and all of that? Like, that sounds like a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I had been dating my ex-husband towards the end of college. I met him and this was like, I was finally back in the swing of things. I was doing good with school and our relationship was kind of similar to the other relationship, just not as unhealthy. Like I could see the signs, but he wasn't quite as far off as my first boyfriend was. That was more abusive and toxic. He was verbally unhealthy to me and he was unhealthy to himself. And I understood that from an empathetic heart, like what that meant. And so I knew I couldn't fully fix him, but I knew he wasn't as damaged or broken as I had had before. So again, going back to very little experience, very little exposure, only one boyfriend in my life. I didn't have a lot of practice. And so I also know from our culture in Portuguese culture, you get married, especially in the Catholic church, you, you figure it out, you work through everything, you pray on it, all of those Mm. things. And so I just thought to myself, I'm going to continue to learn how to compromise and turn and learn how to like work through this marriage and make this thing work. And it was our honeymoon, which was in 2012. We got married officially. We had been together for five years and I had given him the ring back several times during our engagement because Did I just, I, mm-hmm, I just knew we couldn't do it. I knew it wasn't meant to be, but then I had my mom over my head. Who's like, you have all your family who knows about this. You're already having Catholic church counseling. Let me tell you, that's like a real pressure, right? It is like, so much pressure. Once you're engaged, forget it. It's you so hard. It's back. so hard. Like once you said yes, and I'm like, I was pressured in the moment. Like you see this ring and like, it's the big moment that you supposedly are waiting for your whole right. life. And then you, re- you Which realize. Which is a whole other issue, by the way. Programming. Waiting for this your whole life. Programming. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I... Interestingly, years after my, my divorce, when I finally told my mom about the truth about that marriage and what it was like, it was similar for my mom with her first husband. And that's why she was so much pressuring me to not go through what she went through because all the shame she got for what she went through with going through a divorce. So on our honeymoon, 
literally the honeymoon I paid for, I got locked out of our hotel room in Cabo in Mexico. What do you mean? By myself. What do you mean locked out? He, he locked me out of the room, moved a dresser in front of the door so I couldn't get in and just made me sleep outside in the middle of Cabo Stop San Lucas. Stop it. And that was when I knew what did I just do? What did I do? And then from that moment on, it was like, how do I get out of this? How do I survive this? Like, what does this even mean? Like someone who can just do this to me and leave me outside. And it had never been physically abusive. It had just been verbally abusive and physically toxic to the sense that he was an alcoholic and he would leave for like three days on benders and not like answer my phone calls. And I would be terrified that something was wrong. So I finally, after our first six months of living together, I got cheese. That was like my protector, my little pup. (laughs) And, um, he started to cheat on me. I would go on work trips and there would be, um, cars parked outside my house. My neighbor would tell me when there would be cars there and he'd lie and be like, no one's here. They're lying. Um, and our one year anniversary, we ended up taking a cruise and, I had won the cruise and it had to be used by that time. And originally it was going to be me and my girlfriends, but then my girlfriends fell out and he pressured me into coming and we were on this cruise and we, there was a couple we met there and they were so nice. And I just saw what a relationship should feel like. And I brought it up to him. I was just like, is there ever a chance that you'll get there? Like, am I just going to continue to be your muse, the person that you can't stand. And what it was is I was everything he wanted to be. He could not find his own ambition, his own passion, his own purpose. And he saw me being successful and thriving to what he thought, even though in my heart I fully wasn't. And so he had to undermine me and belittle me to make me make sure I never left him. Right. And anytime I would threaten to leave or threaten to tell somebody, he would threaten to kill himself or to do something terrible, to cheese. And so he's very manipulative, very narcissistic. And most women that I talk to are in this space all say the same thing. It's like when you're out of it, you're like, how did I do that? Right. But you just, you have so much empathy and love for somebody and you can't help but understand them. And it's a protection of understanding yourself. It's a form of self-love in a way. Mm-hmm. You're, and it's it's sad, but it's it's the truth and how I navigated that relationship. And so on that one year cruise, when I was finally like, is this ever going to change? It like flipped him out and he choked me out and I was out Stop. for six hours. Stop. Mm-hmm. Six hours. Yeah. And then I get up, get out of my room and where do I find him? He's at like the dinner that happens like for our time that we're supposed to have dinner with the the couple. And he was like, you wake up drunky as if I had like passed out drunk. So that's when I realized, okay, now it's physical. I have to be very careful. And he'd come home drunk, would be really aggressive and abusive and like wouldn't punch intentionally, but would like push very hard and pull me up against a wall and choke me and do things like that so that it never was actually hitting me or push me out of the way because it was like not officially like pushing me or punching me. And I'd always confront him in the mornings. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was asleep. He would like throw up on the side of the bed. Like he was just always such a mess. And finally I told myself, I can't do this anymore. I can't pretend that everything's okay. I can't fix him. I have to fix myself. And it was interesting because it was leading up to my 29th birthday. 
my dad is someone I would never call for advice. I was constantly talking to my mom. My dad, if my dad called me, I was usually in trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> when I was like, let me call my dad, my heart just knew he was going to give me like exactly what I needed to hear. And I didn't tell them at all about the abuse or anything. They just knew like I had bought the man a boat for his birthday one year. I had taken us on all these lavish trips. Like I did the stuff that looked normal, but didn't actually love that man. And my dad knew it. He's like, I knew from day one that you didn't love that man and that he did not love you. He's like, I knew that this was just you repeating another pattern in your life. And he's like, I don't know why you don't love yourself enough to find someone better for you. He's like, but I think it's time that you love yourself first. And I was like, wow, that is exactly what I needed to hear. And so, um, I called my mom immediately after and gave myself like a 20 minute window to like breathe and let that (laughs) land. And my mom immediately was like, no, you, you don't understand if this is just a time of your life, everything will be fine. Get some counseling. Um, because they didn't know the full story. They just saw an ungrateful partner, someone who wouldn't go out of their way for me when I would go out completely out of my way for them. He was, when I divorced him, a manager at a skating rink while I was, you know, a senior executive and there's nothing wrong with that, but he had no ambition outside of that. Well, you guys weren't matching on on that level. No, complete incompatibility all around. And so my mom, obviously you want, you know, she wanted to make sure that I wasn't repeating her pattern essentially. Right. And so there was that inherited ancestral stuff that we were dealing with. And I felt that with my mom. And even the day I finally told him I wanted to get a divorce and fled she was like, I can't believe you did that. You didn't give it enough time, you know, still just could not find it to be on my side and to resonate with what was going on in my heart. So, um, once I left that marriage, it was a complete unlearning because I had never been alone. I had been with someone for almost a decade of my life, eight years practically. And it was all toxicity. The relationship before that, that was two years in college, toxic. So, I knew my parents had a really loving, compassionate relationship, but I'd never had that for myself. And I didn't know what I wanted, what I needed. So I stayed single for a very long time after that. But all amongst that, when I got my MBA was when I was separating from Mark. And then when I um, officially graduated, we were already divorced. So it's good that you had that positive piece of your life Mm -hmm. to kind of keep you moving and going. And yes. Oh my gosh. So much. And that I think was always something that was inherent to me. I always seemed to find opportunities that helped me move through change. And that's when my career was about to shift a few years later, I realized like, I can't just have things that move me through change. Like I need some stillness to allow myself to feel the things that I've been avoiding feeling, to hear the thoughts that I've been avoiding listening to. And so that's why I did that pilgrimage stage and spent a lot of time in the car after I left my career to really figure out what it is that I want to do. I knew I had so much potential. I was a jack of all trades, master of none. I could literally, I'm so, I'm a sponge. I learned so quickly. You're a natural born leader. And I knew that from like the day that I met you. <laughs> I just have it in you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I just knew that I would find something. It didn't matter what, but I knew I'd find something. And as long as it resonated with me and it made me feel good, I could do it. And so those seven months being in a car by yourself, just driving nothing but road and opportunity in front of you, no true destination were, was just so transformative. And really what sparked me wanting to leave my career was both 
leaving, you know, that succession plan that I put in and saying, I want to diversify and find something bigger, but more so it got compounded when my dad passed away. Cause when he passed away, I was so engulfed in work at the time. And that's when I got that third opportunity. Hey, we have another department. We need you to take over. We need you to help fix this one. And so I had the choice. Do I take a pause? My dad just passed away or do I pull through it? And so again, I pushed through it. And so I think at the time when I was on the pilgrimage, I had come to so much awareness that Cynthia, all you keep doing is moving. And while movement is great, you have to have all of this momentum to get there. And there was nothing giving me momentum anymore. I felt completely lost. And so on the pilgrimage, I spent so much time learning podcasts, reading books at every little hotel that I'd stop at. I got so many certifications. I started learning Reiki. I started learning shamanism. I started learning shadow work, inner child healing. I got a yoga certification among all of that. And I started to outline this like mind map. And the only thing that I knew I wanted to do was service. That was the one thing that like landed on my heart, like that filled me up. And it's because all my time working at my career job with the people that I worked with, I was helping them transform and step into their power as an act of service is what it felt like to me. And so that's what resonated with me the most. And I took that idea of service and just started like thinking about what are all the things that I could do to help truly serve in this world. And so first I went down like the traditional, like I have my executive MBA, I have a PMP, like I could do consulting and help people who don't know how to build businesses that want to build like sustainable or pure businesses that are heart rooted. Then I got into with all the Reiki and the shamanism, the spiritual work, like I could help serve people with this type of work because it's not inherent to people. Usually you have to like go seeking it if you want this kind of help. It's not, there's no insurance for it. Um, then I got into the idea of like career coaching just because there were so many people in both of those intersections of both professional life and personal life, like spirituality that were like, I want to see this come to life. I want to see my, my passion like be fueled. And I feel like they're two separate journeys for me. And so that's when sort of this intersection of personal and professional freedom started to like resonate with me Mm -hmm. because so much of my profession came from my personal experience. I was bred to work and to support my family. And that's why I became such a go-getter and such a hard worker. I was threatened to be abandoned. So that abandonment wound is what triggered me to make a lot of decisions, not just in my personal life, but in my professional life. I was so afraid to lose my job. I was so afraid to not get the next bonus or the next raise. Those things were so parallel for me. And so when I spent a lot of time really thinking about like, what is this going to look like? I looked at all of the ways that I'd served. I had recently joined the SPCA of Tampa Bay on their board and thought to myself, I really love doing nonprofit work. I love the idea of it being mission focused versus revenue focused. Like that really resonated with my soul. And so I just dived right in and started to like map out what could a nonprofit look like? And no joke, it just started to like talk about manifestation. Like the moment I was in my truth and it was resonating with my soul, like all of these things just started to show up for me. All of a sudden I had people who were interested and wanting to learn more about what I was doing. And I always say you teach what you most need to learn. And so at first I just started teaching people shadow work. I started teaching people Reiki. I started teaching people how to tap into their own subconscious and 
eventually it started to unfold into, okay, well, how do I then like incorporate this into like my human life, like taking it into the professional life and making it realized. Mm -hmm. And so I started teaching people how to sort of integrate those two worlds. And then people were like, I love what you're doing. How do we like bring this to the world? And eventually it just blossomed into this idea of how do we create a community of people who are doing this same thing together and they can lean on one another because my journey was so lonely and it took me going and seeking all this help, these individual coaches and mentors and practitioners and learning these sort of trades and certifications around self-healing and self-love and self-advocacy to recognize that like we aren't taught this. And so I went on this like long journey of like, what is this going to look like? Is this going to be like insurance for spirituality? Like I didn't know that would what be it really cool. Right. I hope that goes. Down it's one of our that. pillars. Yeah. It definitely is. Anyone who's a part of our community helps offer discounted, if not free services and goods to people that can't afford it. Right. Um, so it eventually spun into that, but there was, I was at the time attracting so much. There was such an expansive opportunity in front of me and it was intentional. The universe was like, Nope, not yet. You're not supposed to find the lane. You're still an expansion and exploratory because I was learning myself. Mm-hmm. That's all I was doing. Even though I was serving and helping serve others, it was teaching me how to serve myself. And so I started to think about how do I create a community where not only you can come to serve, but it's as an, a, a bigger proponent of serving yourself. And that's where it just became like, we're going to have teachers, we're going to have ambassadors, we're going to build a board of directors who really finds like passion and wanting to see something come to life and to be able to be a part of something that's going to grow and eventually have people in their practice become a part of this movement and it be a part of their growth and development. And then it created this like mentorship pool and partnership pool. And all of a sudden it became this very feminine space where business can sometimes be very masculine and rigid, like we were talking about it became this very feminine space where you can come and go as you please serve and be served as you please and co-create versus compete, which is very masculine, powerful energy co-create when you recognize someone is very similar to you, has very similar gifts, but maybe has just a, a different perspective to help you learn a new perspective or to step into something a little bit different or new. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this beautiful garden is what I keep calling it, where we're just planting these seeds and fermenting them and helping them grow that will eventually be its own space that I can come to. I mean, every person that's a part of this is teaching me something. So like when we were chatting earlier, we were talking about how like a lot of people have like their professional world and then they have their, I don't know, personal world. Mm -hmm. Right. And they don't intersect. Yep. So this program that you've developed program company, nonprofit, nonprofit is the right word for it. That helps kind of interlock both of them. Yeah. And how much they've lost sight of what they actually love, what is inherent to their spirit that they've been told to do or have been programmed to believe they need to do because that's just how society is. And the people who come to me for career coaching and executive coaching realize how so much of their limiting beliefs in their business and and their ability to perform and become entrepreneurial or successful as an executive is due to the things that are limiting them in their personal life. The things that they've created space from. Uh, One of the biggest things I do when I start any form of program with anyone is values. So many of us have values that come from a space of lack not from a space of abundance. Wait, wait expand on that, please. Yes. That sounds like, yes, I need to know yeah. more about yes. that. Right. Yes. Right. So if you can imagine some people might have the value freedom and for them, that value is because they don't feel free. 
there is a lack of that value in their life today. They have to go to work that they don't like, or they have to report to someone that maybe doesn't make them feel good or makes them do things that aren't in alignment with their truth. They might have to have responsibilities that keep them away from things that make them feel free, right? So freedom is really important to them because it's an absence to them and it's not available to them. Yes. A lot of us who are like, you know, family is a big value. It usually comes from having a good family system, but some people could be like, I want family as my value because I've never had that. And I want to cultivate that. So it comes from both spaces, but majority of people, when I do this exercise, recognize how much of those values actually are desires because they are lacking Mm. them in their life presently. And so that awareness in and of itself is transformative. So many people are like, my number one value is family, but they spend majority of their time working and doing things that keep them from their family. And so other people say their biggest value could be to be successful, but have no way to define what success is or define it the way they've been told to define it. And so um, that values exercise that we do really helps people just awaken to some of the whys behind what they're doing. And we get even more rooted into that why. So why is family a value to you? Why is freedom so important to you? And as you start to uncover some of these rooted truths, these rooted whys, you recognize they're either conditioned to you from the way you were raised, society, um, not having something, but the way you viewed other people who have them, which might be a mis perception. I can't tell you how many people say money is a number one value for them because it's going to give them freedom because they've seen so many people that have lots of money look free. They look free, look free. And, and when you start to dive deeper, you recognize just even having that much money sometimes is a trap because the fear of losing it and not having it again could be very heartfelt to them. It could be very fearful to them. Um, some people see that having an absence of affection or appreciation is really heartfelt to them. It breaks them. It makes them feel like they're doing things just to be in motion. But when in reality, they just haven't found the appreciation for self Mm -hmm. or they haven't been affectionate enough to themselves. So it could be just lack from experience and lack from self. And so those are sort of the two ways we break down values. You mentioned like just like a few sentences earlier about you know, it could be from your upbringing. And I know you don't necessarily mean like your parents are bad, right? It's not about that, but it could be about you're not really taught the real meaning of words. Mm-mm, no. And language is the number one reason why we struggle because it's so limiting to what we actually feel and what we actually experience. And so, so much of what we see and observe is really what we learn. Hearing is just another byproduct of that. I say our brain is the processor. Our body is really the mind because we're sensing our experience more than we realize. Our subconscious is in action way more than our mind is. And so we, our first few years when we don't even understand language are just observing behavior. And once we start to learn language, we then try to differentiate the observation from what we're hearing and what we're being told. We might see our parents doing something that looks right, but we hear that it's not good. It's not right. Right. And so then we have these polarities that we're trying to understand and understanding is one of the biggest things that makes separation happen. Trying to understand something is where you start to disconnect. Okay, what is this thing that I'm observing that seems to be one way, but this thing that I'm hearing that seems to be another, it's so hard to connect those two bridges. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I'm sure social media has like a big play on this too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, Hi. puppies are coming. Have fun, you Thank guys. you. Should I leave this open? I mean, yeah, since everyone's gone. Right? Hi, you guys. Hi, you guys came to do this episode with us? The puppies just came into the room. Yay. Can you hear them? You can hear them. <laughs> can I pick you up so I can show everybody? Get a doorstop. Cheese, come here. Cheese, come this way. Come here. Come say hi. Come here. Can I come say you? hi. Come here. Oh, maybe mommy. Yeah, come here. Come, come here. say hi. Come here, you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> These are our guests. Look at their faces. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, snort right into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> that noise is just so deep. Oh. Mm. oh well, yay. Mabel just had the best her, life. Her five seconds of fame. Yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah, she did. She's like, I love the camera. Uh, maple, bacon, and cheese. Yes. Love it. I know. They're well, I was like totally like oh. zoned into this whole <laughs> totally. time. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, it's all good stuff. Is there anything that we like didn't talk about that you want to talk about or want to mention? Um, I think the biggest thing for me, going back to personal and professional freedom, is understanding that these two are not separate, right? And sometimes we try to make them like parallel and we try to make them be in balance of one another, but the two are so ingrained, right? Because how you get to show up in your professional life is a byproduct of who you are personally. All of your personal skills, characteristics, attributes, they don't turn off. And I remember when I was younger, way back in the day in my career, I did a disc assessment and they gave me this test and I got results and it was like natural versus adaptive. It was very triggering for me because I'm like, okay, so I have to adapt in certain settings and I can't authentically show up as myself. And so when I realized that I was adapting my behavior in a professional setting, I wasn't actually being my true authentic self, I started to realize I had personal work to do. And the more personal work I did on myself, the more my professional life actually came came to flourish. Right. Now I'm able to actually step into my power and be authentically myself. I can have a conversation with anybody about what I do. I don't have to feel like it's a, a space that I adapt into to be able to hold a conversation, that I have to step into this leader role or into this advocate role. I can just be authentically myself. So most people tend to, like I said, separate the two. And I think really intersecting them and bringing them together is how you kind of feel out your most authentic self and really start to flourish and grow personally, not just professionally. And we set really, really rigid goals professionally for ourselves, but not always personally. And personal goals might be things like, oh, I want to lose weight or I might do this like marathon or usually some sort of like physical or there, but they're not the same in relation they're to like, not. we never hold us ourselves accountable no. for like losing weight or something like that. No. So many people who are like, I'm going to lose 50 pounds like every single year. Yeah. Like, you haven't done anything. <laughs> yeah. You zero pounds now if you lost a million. Uh, well, yeah. I, <laughs> but you know, 50 was a little aggressive. <laughs> But we, I mean, we get, we are taught all these, like we have goal, like structures at our professional careers. And we have these like really intentional accountability measures that we put in place to make sure we're doing those things. We don't do anything like that in our personal lives. And so being able to bring some of those professional characteristics and aspects of who you are into your personal life too, are very powerful. And what you end up seeing when they're not in parallel is people who are very rigid at work, very in their masculine and power dominated 
come home and try to bring that kind of energy into the household and it creates friction. Yes. So it, it's balancing the two, recognizing that the two are so interconnected, they're so entwined. And the more you focus on collective growth, collective improvement, collective expansion, do you recognize that the two really are a big aspect of who you are and are just pieces of the pie. There's so much more to you that can come to life. Once you get these two pieces in alignment, all of a sudden you have so much more awareness, so much more potential. The amount of abundance that comes to you when you're that level of magnetic is just incredible. So how do you, sorry, you were just about to ask no, a good okay. question. <laughs> how do you take yourself from like, cause we're business women, right? We have to be in our masculine energy yep. a lot. And sometimes I can get into my feminine energy pretty quick, but like, is there a trick <laughs> to like getting into that feminine energy? So the more you cultivate it personally, the more natural it comes to you professionally, right? Like I mentioned, a lot of us, we step into a nat- an adaptive state here, but the more naturally something occurs to you, the more it'll organically show up for you. For me, when I'm trying to be more feminine in my business, it's about surrendering, creating flow and being in harmony with your truth, right? If you can think the masculine energy, it's linear. It's very subjective. It moves lane by lane, moment by moment. Whereas the feminine is more fluid. It's in flow. It's in surrender mode. It allows whatever happens to happen. And from that space of intuition, you can then move through. So cultivating practices within your business, similar to how I'm saying, bring business into home life and have goals and structure, which is more masculine, cultivate femininity in your business practice. Maybe instead of having weekly team meetings, you have a daily standup that authentically creates conversation. Instead of having um, weekly cadence of reporting metrics, you have daily recaps of how the day felt, right. right? So it's just little small micro changes that aren't so grand and intentional and linear like a masculine energy would be, but it helps cultivate more of that flow, that surrender, being more in the present. And even when it comes to like competition and power, like you can imagine goals, metrics, we always have like a team leader of the month or someone who hit their sales goal or their benchmarks, celebrating the people's failures, allowing people to talk about where they've overcome challenges, like bringing more of that into the workplace to celebrate empathy and compassion, um, ways to build community in the workplace, allowing people to choose what role they want to play instead of them always being the role that they have to be. Um, so those are some really simple ways in business to do it. But again, the more you cultivate it personally, the more authentically, because you'll feel so transitioned to masculine when you come into the workplace, it won't feel natural to you. Those are just great things that you said, like love the tips that you gave. Those are like easy things that you can action on Mm -hmm. little things. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. Um, Yep. And then we always try to cultivate like the integration of personal and professional life. So when you are doing goal planning, like how does this support your per- your personal life? What personal goals are you setting for yourself? And how can we support that as an aspect of the things you do and what you bring to life every day? And everybody has different wants, different desires, different values, and they're going to constantly change. Pre my dad passing away, my values were making sure that I was a strong leader, that I was able to provide and do all these different things. The moment my dad passed away, it was freedom, mm. flexibility independence, right? So your values will shift as you experience life. So creating that space for people to shift as their life shifts. That's a huge piece right there because you're right. We all change our 
change, period. We change, right, period. Yeah. And you have to allow that flexibility yeah. in your loved ones. Yeah. And there's so many changes that people know happen. Like you get married, you have children, right? And that we all know in a corporate world how easy it is to celebrate those and to create space for those. Right. And there's even law around some of the things with pregnancy and such. But there are other life changes that happen for people. Like my mom, for example, when she had cancer, there's nothing there in the world that says you need to give your time and space. When a woman miscarries, there's yeah. nothing for that. So just allowing a culture that supports empathy, that supports the human condition, the human experience helps people feel more connected personally and helps that come to life professionally. Yeah. That's huge. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, you know, I think we know that maybe unconsciously, but we don't know that subconsciously Mm -hmm. or, or through work. Yep. Right. Like, yep. There's, there are so many changes that we go through or aha moments that make us change and we have to have empathy for each other, right? On those changes and why we change Mm -hmm. and allow them to change. I feel like a lot of, a lot of, um, people might, I I mean, personally, I feel like a lot of family members don't allow other family members to that fluctuate to change, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then you're just supposed to be that one family member that everyone yep. thinks that they know, but throughout yep. life, but yep. you're not. No. And those life transitions can be like minor, but can have such a profound impact on you. Like just me changing my career. I didn't think it was going to be as transformative as it was, but it shattered my family. My fam- my mom was in complete opposition of that. She couldn't understand why I would want to take a pay cut, but then also give money away as a nonprofit. Like it just didn't make sense to her. But now she sees me thriving and in my truth and feeling so fulfilled. She's resentful for herself. And so that's the healing in and of itself is now my mom is getting to heal herself and what she's been through because that wasn't what she was told. She was told to do her path and she followed that path and is still trying to follow that path and make sure her mom thinks that she's doing everything right. So it's still, it's, it's so inherent in us. It's so learned. And Psychological safety is one of those words and things that isn't really talked about enough, but to cultivate a truthful culture of empathy, there's got to be a psychologically safe environment for people to do so. And when there's things going on in the world collectively, it makes it even harder, like COVID and now Ukraine and all this stuff going on, right? So it makes it even harder. Distractions. Yes. And so people's psychological safety is already heightened. It's not fully there. And safety is our number one rooted value, no matter what. Even if people don't say it's their value, it's because it's they're not they're not feeling unsafe right, right now. Right. Everything else is more important. So once you pull that rug out from underneath somebody, it makes it that much harder. So you have to cultivate a culture of psychological safety and empathy for people to feel like they can show up their full self, even if that sometimes is someone who might not be fully here. Yeah. That's amazing. I feel like we do that at Next Path, right? we do a good job of it. I think so. Like a lot of things you were saying, I'm like, okay. Like thinking of things that we do. Right. That kind of are along those lines. Yeah. We have a lot of like organic, natural conversations where we like are completely ourselves. Like to the point where I don't think we act like that at home sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like the conversations and stuff that we just like are giddy about and we're silly. And Well, and then I was also thinking about the vision boards. They're not just professional goals. They're personal goals too. So we all, we go around, our whole company goes around individually and talks about our vision boards. And so you learn a lot about their individual goals, their personal goals, Mm -hmm. work goals. Like 
Yeah. You learn a lot about a person just by doing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That, that was one example I was thinking of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we like in our nonprofit, we try to cultivate like monthly check-ins. Like what are you letting go of this month so you can create space to receive next month? And oh, that's a really powerful tool to help people be like, what am I still carrying with me that I don't need? Because when we talked about some values can come from lack and eventually you might be holding on to something that you think is lacking, but you've already fulfilled that need. You just haven't been aware of it because you're disconnected from your experience. What even mean like what yeah do you get rid of so a lot of times limiting beliefs are what keep you stuck right you might think okay I have to make more money I have to make more money but really it's a limiting belief what are you spending your money on how much of it is going oh right (laughs) right right (laughs) like what are you spending your money on is is that a value for you is it hitting a need or or a necessity or is it a desire and I always say desires are your stepping stone to your destinies and so many people are fulfilling needs in absence of their desires because desires to hitting desires is a good thing yeah yeah and that see that's and that's programming from when we were little we were taught not to have certain desires that they weren't good for us but all of us were given these unique desires intentionally to get us closer and closer to our destiny. How often have you set a goal and gotten to it? And that was the last thing you did. It's always been a stepping stone into something new during that journey to that benchmark, you uncovered some other idea, some other vision, some other opportunity. And so it's always a paradigm. It's always unfolding. And so the more you connect to your compass, the more you just navigate the map rather than figuring out like what spots am I stopping at? Instead, it's a journey and you're constantly just changing direction, micro actions and little different directions get you so much further than trying to take these grand leaps, not understanding why that desire is there. So I I love talking about desires because it's one of the things that I was taught not to have. Some of my desires were told selfish when I was little, Right, right? And they were to get me closer to awakening to what I truly desired. And I'm I'm, I'm still in my thirties. I've years to go. Yeah. Thankfully. Right. Hopefully. And I feel like the more I continue to be in alignment with my truths, my desires, the more they will unfold. I had no idea I was going to start a nonprofit. No idea until I I had this desire of wanting to serve, to want to connect with community, to not want to do this work alone. And when I put the intention out there that I didn't want to do this alone, all of a sudden I attracted in all these people who wanted to do it with me. And now the desire is even bigger. I want to help provide service to people who can't afford it. I want to help people who don't have opportunity to get into this space, get into this space and have the coaching and mentoring they need to do it. I want to help people who don't have any support in their life, have a network of people now that they can lean in and support because making this type of transition, you lose a lot of people. There are so many people that are attached to the old versions of you. And until you actually recognize that those people are just versions of you, they have to elevate to this new version of you to stay. You won't have the space to bring in all of those people that you actually want to attract that are in resonance with you now. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. You who said so many things in my <laughs> Oh my God, I want to go down that rabbit hole, that rabbit hole, that rabbit hole. No, I feel like we could talk for hours. Uh-huh. I know. Like literally everything you said, I want this to like is amazing. go down that path for a little bit and this one and this one. So yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I'm so excited for you and I see big things coming for freedom philosophy and for you. I want to get more involved with it. Yay. Mm-hmm. Did you stop giving me so Sorry. much? Sorry. Like, give yourself time. <laughs> it's all gone now. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I want to get more involved because it's something that like 
I I'm passionate about and I can see your passion. I'm like, yes, yes, I love it. Yeah. Um, So I'm excited to see like all the good things coming. Yes. Thank you. Where it goes, where you go. And I'm just so happy that we did this and got together. Me too. I'm so glad. I know. Yeah. We and you have been on such a path. I mean, our whole journey, like you, you guys both, I feel like when I was going through a potential transition pre my dad passing away, I reached out to you and was like, I'm having thoughts and I've just always seen you as someone that I could tap and just lean into. So I'm glad that we continue to do this journey together. And I would love, like I said, to have both of you on this freedom philosophy mission with us. Cause I feel like so much of what you naturally cultivate and what you bring to this world is what we're trying to attract. So I feel like we're even more in our natural feminine energy here. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially me from, from corporate world. Yeah. I can feel a difference in, you know, from by the time I saw you at lunch to where you are now. Yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. (laughs) I was in that corporate role. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Even you saw me. Because you know. know. (laughs) I think I've seen like the biggest change, like, I mean, just from your, like your way of thinking, we had to break you down. Yeah. We didn't have to break you down. You, know, you had to you break work. me down. <laughs> but like, I had to like change was, my way of right. thinking. That's on my vision board. It's like, you thought you differently had about things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Our perspective is so powerful. And the more we learn to change our perspective and look at the mirrors that we've attracted around us, that's so intentional. They're offering us a completely different respect perspective. Mm-hmm. So the more you can just lean into that, observe it and learn from it. It's powerful. It's transformative. I love it. We're going to end on that note because that is so powerful. Aww. And thank you puppies for contributing. <laughs> yeah, all you the noise. Cheese and maple <laughs> bacon. bacon. Maple bacon. I love it. That's, those are amazing dog names. Thank you. I, know, I had a permanent smile on my face because I get to hear them like. I know. <laughs> the whole time. I know. It's going to be funny. Everyone's going to be like, what is that noise in the yeah. background? I'll put it in my intro. I'll do it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Cynthia. Thank this you. Has been like transformational eye-opening a lot of homework that we have now to dig into yeah a lot of seeds that you planted yes. for us so thank you yes. um hopefully we'll have you back yeah like, for like part mm-hmm. two yeah i would love that mm-hmm. um and everybody listening thanks for listening thanks for taking your time and um live bold and boss up This is a Rock Stops Here with Rock Riley Quick Fix on Radio Influence. This is really, really, really one of my favorites. I had not met her personally until this podcast that you're going to hear right now. As a matter of fact, I stopped her from walking. She was walking at a brisk pace. Where do you hear how this one went down and how cool she is? I'm talking about my guest on the Rock Stops here, Jane Slater from NFL Network. I'm not a big person that, that sits around and says we have to have X amount of women at the table. X, you know, I, I'm not big on necessarily checking the box. I'm big on the right people for the right job. But you have to get an opportunity, right? There weren't a lot of opportunities early on. So there weren't enough women to make me think well, that was a career lane for me. Um, and even in college, when I started sending out resume tapes, you know, I wasn't good enough to just jump to ESPN and we didn't have all these blog sites or digital platforms to just go from college to the NFL. So my first job market was in Tyler, Texas, and they just weren't open to the idea of a a girl carrying around a 50 pound camera, cutting highlights and having her own show. And so I spent 
eight years doing hard news, producing, field producing, you name it. But I think it's made me so good at this job now because I know how to build sources, contacts. I can go to a press conference and say, that's the lead. Uh, here's the video that I need. And because I've worked behind the scenes, I can help my producers do their job. And so I think, you know, I always tell people that I mentor, you may not get the job you want to begin with, but take whatever job you can get. Don't stay too long, but get as much equity in, in this profession as you can because it will pay off down the road. The Rock stops here with longtime radio and TV personality. Rock Riley is found anywhere you find podcasts and radioinfluence.com.